If you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the podcast for you. Join me, Joel Lulovich, and me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Joel Lulovich here. And Lucy Dickens. Welcome back to the Juggle Podcast. Back at the start of March, we had an event to celebrate 100 episodes of the Juggle podcast. It was so exciting to get to 100. That was always my big goal when we started this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know whether the big goal for you was the 100 episodes or the 100 episode party because we spoke about the 100 episode party <laughs> a hell of a lot. I think we were at about episode probably three and you were saying, so how are we going to celebrate 100 episodes? <laughs> Well, you know, as far as I was concerned, if we were going to get to 100 episodes, we had to have a party to celebrate. Which we did. Yeah, we did. So this podcast all started back in early 2018 in terms of us together. I had a few ideas in 2017 and had done a bit of work, but you and I only met in January 2018. And then all of a sudden, March 2018, we had a podcast. And what made it happen so quickly, I think, was because we met and we just had this similar vision. You know, we both wanted a world where women didn't feel like they needed to leave their career when they had children and they didn't feel less because they had to work flexibly or wanted to choose to work flexibly and, of course, where they didn't feel alone and overwhelmed by all of it. So two years on and over 100 episodes, we have over 800 women in our The Juggle community, which is online on Facebook, 107 now episodes of the podcast and over 55,000 downloads and many, many listeners all around the world. Mm. Oh, So 40 or so of you came along to our Design Your Decade event that we ran in Perth and we had such a good time. And unlike our 50th episode party, because of course we celebrated the half century too, We didn't do quite so much of the talking at that event. Rather, we invited three guest speakers to do the talking for us. And I'm so glad we did because they all had so much great information to share and they made the event really fun. So the three people that we had were the Honourable Justice Jenny Hill from the Supreme Court of WA, who's been a guest on the show previously. We also had Dr Marnie Lishman, a psychologist who practices here in Perth, and Pramila Jinnah, who is a design thinking specialist. And we came prepared and made sure to mic these people up before they hit the stage so that we could share them with those of you who couldn't make it to the event And that's exactly what we're going to do over the next three episodes. And this episode today is dedicated to Justice Jenny Hill, who, like Jo mentioned, has been a guest of ours back on episode 91. And she joined us again at the event to address the audience. Justice Hill has had a very distinguished career in the legal industry, which culminated in her appointment to the Supreme Court of WA in May 2019. Her family includes her husband and two teenagers, Lachlan and Sophie. Justice Hill gave a really touching and pertinent talk about the importance of sharing our stories, both the good and the bad when it comes to, you know, doing the juggle, the importance of flexible work done right, and how we can support each other, not just in big ways, but in little ways that can often have a a bigger impact than we ever intend. Enjoy listening. quite daunting speaking with a photo of me behind me. Um, look, can I, um, can I just start by acknowledging the Noongar people, the traditional owners of the land on which we meet today, and recognise their continuing connection to the land, water and community, and I repay my respect to their elders past and present. 
It is truly a delight to have been asked to speak to you today, which is a dual celebration of both International Women's Day, but also the second anniversary of the Juggle podcast. The podcasts that Joe and Lucy do are important for so many reasons, two of which I would like to develop in my short address today. The first is that they share stories, lessons learned and experiences of those who've walked a similar path for those trying to attempt the juggle of work, family and the other commitments that you have and whatever comprises your lived experience. But second, they have found a way to make the podcast work around their work, family and other commitments. And in doing so, they have achieved something that really is quite remarkable. This year's International Women's Day theme of Each for Equal is, I think, apt at this point of time. It's a message which is essentially one of individual collectivism, which acknowledges that individually we're all responsible for our own thoughts and actions, but that together we can actively choose to challenge stereotypes, fight bias, broaden perceptions and improve the situations of those around us. The importance of telling our stories cannot be underestimated, but is only relatively recently understood. The importance of storytelling was brought home to me almost 10 years ago when I was involved in the program to rewrite the parental leave and flexible work policies at the firm that I was then a partner of. What we did as part of rewriting the policies is that we broke into focus groups that were separated on both gender and also seniority lines. And what was really interesting in the feedback that we received was that the female partners felt like they weren't coping and that they were overwhelmed by the choices they were having to make in their individual lives. Our male partners felt that the women weren't coping, even though they recognised that they were doing their best. And the junior women felt like they were complete failures because all the senior women ahead of them seemed to have it all under control and they couldn't work out why they were struggling so much. And what this feedback brought home to me and a number of the other women that were on the committee with me was that there was no point in being silent about our lived experiences because being silent did not mean that our male partners thought we had everything under control and it had the unintended impact of making women who were junior to us feel worse about their lives. And it made me realise that it was absolutely critical that we all share our stories so that people who are struggling with the juggle of work and family do not feel that they are alone. In this regard, can I encourage you all, not just on International Women's Day, but at every opportunity that you have, to share your experiences and your stories, the good but particularly the bad ones, with those who are around you so that you can challenge stereotypes, broaden perceptions and seek to improve the situation of those around you. The other thing that I want to emphasise is that in sharing our stories, it is really critical we share them with both men and women. I think one of the big changes that I've seen over the last decade is that we're starting to see men vocally standing back from very promising career paths to spend time with their families. Probably the two most notable exceptions in the last couple of years in Western Australia have been the politicians and former lawyers Ben White and Tim Hammond. In my view, in order for us to move to a world which is truly each for equal, we need to move to a place where we don't see workplace issues concerning women and parental responsibilities as the same issue. 
and where men are encouraged to take parental leave and take advantage of flexible working for parental responsibilities. Now, if we can achieve this over the next decade, it really will be a game changer for those coming after us. The second thing that I wanted to deal with was a discussion about flexible working. I had thought that I was going to discuss this and then uh, in the Weekend Australian magazine there was an article about flexible working which if you haven't read it I recommend that you do but if you are currently working flexibly you might want to do it over a glass of wine when you're not feeling completely stressed. (laughs) And the reason for that is that there's a number of aspects that are addressed in the article that really resonated with me. Firstly, working flexibly often means that you still do full-time hours but you do so while you're getting paid less and feeling guilty the whole time. Secondly, when you move to flexible working, there can be an assumption that you will do all of the housework on your day off. And what amused me was that in the article, one woman spoke about being so stressed by this that she lay awake at night fantasising about leaving her partner. I have to say that if I was in her shoes... I may have been fantasising about something, but probably a more drastic and permanent resolution to the issue. (laughs) The third thing was that after a woman has her first baby, the time she spends caring for others goes from two hours a week to 51 hours a week. So if you're wondering how you're spending your time, that might give you a bit of an indication. Another thing was notwithstanding working flexibly, the expectation remained of 24-7 availability and the day or days off was simply considered by employers to be working in a different environment and not getting paid for it. The other two aspects were that flexible work has a broad and significant impact on careers, including bonuses, opportunities for promotion, and is considered to be one of the most significant contributors to the gender pay gap. And finally, many people believe that working long hours and always being connected is the key to success. Now, the most interesting aspect about that myth of connectivity is that, in fact, our desire to be connected 24 hours a day, seven days a week, has, in fact, led to a major decline in productivity. So the current research suggests that people are only productive for two to three hours a day and that they spend the rest of their time being distracted, switch tasking, looking busy and getting stressed. There's also research that shows that working longer hours with no boundaries causes stress, ill health and lack of productivity. So what is the solution? The first one, and look, in saying this, can I say that I entirely accept that it's easier to say this than do it, is to focus on productive working time and fewer distractions. Last month I had um, the opportunity of attending a judicial orientation course which was held in um, New South Wales and one of the aspects that we did was um, time management And the woman who took the course was incredible and she spoke about how, you know, she could get us 30 hours of our month back and, you know, what we needed to do was, you know, turn off our notifiers and, you know, schedule our calendar and all of these amazing tips. And, you know, like I have done a fair bit of that over the last month and I certainly have achieved quite a lot. But the thing that had also really resonated with me, both when I was listening to the presentation and also in my last month, is that what it assumes 
is that you have no chaos in your life. So it assumes that if you have set aside, you know, these two hours to prepare, in my case, for a hearing that I'm doing tomorrow, it assumes that my daughter doesn't come in and go, Mum, I've um, just fallen over and I've been um, stung by a bee and I need to do something, or it assumes that, you know, your children don't have sporting accidents or that, you know, your dog doesn't eat something and need to be taken to the vet. Because in each of those circumstances, I am confident that a response of, I'm just doing something. Now, I have a scheduled break in 45 minutes for 15 minutes, so if you could come back then, we can then go through this, is not necessarily going to have the same impact. The other changes are employer and societal changes. The first thing is that we need to value non-working time And we need flexible working to stop being primarily about women who are parents. Now, this in itself requires two things to occur. First is that men need to do more caring, or as I like to say, parenting of their children. And we need to have employers who support this and for employers not to equate flexible working with a lack of career ambition. So how do we achieve this? We can achieve it through collective individualism. We can achieve it by sharing our stories, calling out biases and challenging stereotypes and assumptions. So I challenge you to consider what each of you can do to support others, both men and women, in your workplace and your network. We can also achieve this through our actions, particularly if you are someone who is in a position of influence or relative power. When I was preparing for this talk today, I spoke to a former member of my team to get some ideas as to what I should talk about. And she repeated to me two things that um, had really helped her when she had just returned to work. The first was my delightful colleague, Lara, who has her beautiful son, Dominic, with her today, cooking a meal for her when she was just feeling like she wasn't coping because that was what Lara felt she could do. And then the other example was that something that I had done which actually I hadn't recalled, which was we were just in the process of doing a major pitch to a very significant new client. And my colleague had been identified um, by all of us as the appropriate person to attend this meeting. Now, this meeting was in Melbourne and she had a brand new baby. As it so happened, I was on holidays with my family in Melbourne. And so I said to Kirsten, look, this isn't a problem. Um, I'm in Melbourne on holidays. And she goes, great, you can go to the meeting. And I went, no, that's not going to happen. You're going to fly over with your baby and I and my daughter are going to come and we're going to look after your baby while you go to the meeting. Now, I hadn't realised the impact that that would have, but it's something that still was important to her today because what it shows is that I didn't take it as an opportunity to take the meeting, but also I supported her in a real and practical way, which actually was no effort to me. My um, daughter was about nine at the time and completely loves babies, and she thought it was fantastic. So there are small things that we can do individually to help people around us that will actually have a far-reaching impact on people. So if I can encourage you to think about things that you might be able to do. The final thing that we all need to do is to continue to celebrate the achievements of the incredible women in our lives. And in that respect, can I congratulate both Joe and Lucy on this very significant milestone? Thank you very much. So we hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as we did on the day of the event. 
I feel especially touched that Justice Hill took the time to congratulate us personally. I know it was our event and we were there to celebrate our episodes, but it just was really touching to me that she took the time to call us out and thank us for doing one of the things that she talked about as being so important, which is sharing stories. Yeah, absolutely. So at the end of the three speaker sessions, we had a Q&A panel and the three speakers all sat on that panel and I wanted to share with you especially one of the answers that Justice Hill gave to a question I asked around the types of different supporters that you can have inside your workplace. So here's a grab of that. I often talk about three groups that I think are really important in workplaces. I think there's a lot of discussion about mentoring and mentoring is really important. But mentoring is really speaking with someone who is often more senior to give you ideas and self-awareness about yourself. So that I think can be really helpful. I've had lots of amazing mentors. I tend to look for mentors that I have something in common with. Most of my mentors are senior businesswomen because for me there weren't as many senior women in the profession when I came through. Sponsorship is something completely different and that is actively assisting people to achieve goals and particularly promotions. I think one of the best descriptions that I have heard of this and it was actually in quite a different context it was um, at a program that my son's school run for their year nine students and it's about boys turning into men but I really like this as an example and what it says is that traditionally our society has been where if you look at life as being a series of steps and there's been people on the step ahead of you that reach down and help you up And then we've turned into a society where people stand at the top of the steps and kind of look at you struggling up and kind of go, I wonder if they're going to make it. And I think that's a really good way to look at sponsorship, which is to say what you want is you want people on the steps ahead of you that are reaching down to pull you up. And I think, you know, there's been always a lot of discussion about whether women help each other in the profession. And I think that's a really important thing that women can do is to reach down and help people on the rungs below them. The third group, which is something that I speak a lot about, which is allies. And what I mean by allies is kind of the people in your workplace, and for me this is universally women, that you can just have a bitch to about, you know, how you may want to stab your husband with a fork in the eye. And while you're there, half your male partners as well um, because they're doing something. You know, it's like if you've got up at quarter past five, you've managed to get everything done, you know, three loads of washing, done the school run, you come in and someone says, it's nice of you to join us at five to nine. I think in those circumstances, it's really healthy to have allies in the workplace that you can go and just go, how should I react to this? And generally stabbing them in the eye with a fork is not the answer. So, but I think actually having that release to be able to speak about that and that you can have those conversations and they won't judge you and they understand where you are and that often is really healthy. So I think they are the three things. And there you have it. There is your first glimpse from our 100th episode party with the snippet from the Q&A and also the speech that was given by Justice Hill to our audience there. Yeah, and I hope that you took something from that last bit of Q&A. If I was you, I'd be kind of, you know, rolling through my list of people that I work with going, who's a supporter? Who's my mentor? Who's my ally? <laughs> and just making sure. It's my sponsors. Yeah, mm. and yeah, my sponsors, you know, making sure that you don't mix them up because I think you could actually run into some trouble if you start 
treating some people like allies when they really have a different function. <laughs> That's all from this episode. Next time we will be sharing the excerpt from Dr. Marnie Lishman's talk that she gave at our event. She's a psychologist and we will give you her formal introduction next time up, but she does have a really interesting perspective on managing the juggle from a psychologist's perspective. Thanks for listening. Happy juggling. Happy juggling.